Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. So several years ago, our family went on a trip to Orlando, Florida. And the reason I call it a trip is because if it was a vacation, we would have kept the kids at home. You know what I'm talking about? But they came with us and we went down to Orlando and uh, we did Disney a little bit and had a lot of fun. And we drove down there because flying with five people is very, very expensive. And so on the drive back, we're about 13 hours into the drive. You know what I'm, Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're getting weary. You're getting tired. You got about three or four hours left if you've ever taken that drive before. And all of a sudden on I-65 traveling north, all of the traffic comes to a screeching halt. I mean, we were doing fine. We were cruising along 75, 80, sometimes 85 miles an hour. And uh, all of a sudden we come to zero and five minutes goes by, nothing, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And I am losing my mind. We're three hours from home, right? We've got three kids in the back. We're tired. We're exhausted. We've been in the car all day long. And when I say the traffic had come to a screeching halt, I mean, People had turned their cars off. I mean, I'm talking about people have opened up their doors. They've taken out their lawn chairs. They're sitting on the highway. They're taking their dogs on a walk on the side of the highway. They start to, what do they, they start tailgating. I mean, I mean, we are there for the evening, okay? That's how bad this traffic jam was. I'm not exaggerating. And I'm sitting there and all I can do is just grip the steering wheel and moan and complain and talk to my wife and, and as if it's her fault, right? Somehow she's caused this. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how that happens? And so, but every now and then during this massive traffic jam, I would see this a lone car kind of slowly creep by on the shoulder. And, you know, I'm like, where's she going? Where's he going? You know, and everyone was kind of giving him the look. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and they were also giving them other signals. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you know, a car would go by and like another five minutes, another car would go by. And, and finally, I had lost it. I, had, I said, I'm going to be one of those guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. So I pull off onto the shoulder very, very slowly while everybody stares at me like, where do you think you're going, you know? I'm like, I'm gonna follow that guy. So I pull off on the shoulder just to kind of figure out where these cars are going. And sure enough, I'm driving on the shoulder. People are giving us signals, like you're number one and other signals. 
but I'm going so slow, but I have to figure this out. I have to get home. We're totally trapped. We're totally stuck. Sure enough, there, as I'm driving on the shoulder, kind of up around the corner, there's a, there's a small you know, hole in between the trailer truck and a car that I saw this other car in front of me kind of squeeze into. And then there were two lanes there. This is I-65 going, going north. And then that car did like a little snake and went through these two very, very small holes. You could barely see them because they were hidden by these big trailer trucks. And so I follow this guy very slowly in this one hole and then I kind of do a snake move and then now I'm on the other side of the, uh, of the, of the, the two lanes on the other shoulder, right? Now in between the highway, if you know, on 65, there is a, there is a chain linked fence, right? So that's why people were, could not get out of there. They couldn't turn around and make a U-turn. But this guy in front of me, he had managed to find a very small hole in the fence that you could barely see because you couldn't see it on the road because it didn't look like there was a hole, but it was kind of hidden on one of the turns. And he found this hole and sure enough, I watched him. He went down into the grass, through the hole in the fence, turned left, and then he headed south on 65. And I was like, oh, that's it. And so I looked at my wife, I said, we're gonna go for it. And so we go into the grass and my kids are in the back and I can't remember what they were saying. Maybe they were cheering, maybe they were saying, don't do it. I can't remember, it was so exciting. We go through the hole in the fence, we turn left on 65, and I'm not kidding you, I had a spiritual experience. It was as if I was born again. It was as if I had found Jesus for the very first time. And I'm heading south on, on 65, and we are free. You know what the first thing I did was? Without even thinking about it, my wife could tell you, I hit, I hit the button to roll the window down, and as I'm driving south on 65, I am screaming out the window these words, there's a hole in the fence. There's a hole in the fence. You know, and everybody's sitting in their lawn chairs like, look at that idiot. You know, like, what's he talking about? Like, I'm like, You're, you don't have to stay. There's a hole in the fence. Look, nobody listened to me. <laughs> That's like today. Nobody listens to me today either. That's okay. But I wanted them to experience freedom like I was. Now, you might be thinking, what does that story have to do with go tell it on the mountain? I'm going to connect the dots here in just a minute. But before we dive into that, hey, if this is your very first time at any one of our locations or microsites here, if you're watching online, can we give it up for all of our first time guests today? We're so glad you're here. And if this is not your first time, welcome back. Uh, as your campus leaders have said today, we're in a series right now called Carols. And basically what we decided to do through the whole month of December is you know, sing one of our fam favorite carols, kind of unpack some of the biblical truth in it and apply it to our life. And so we talked about the little drummer boy, week number one. Last week was joy to the world. Uh, we have reasons to be joyful, amen? The Jesus has come. He rules and reigns with truth and grace, right? He comes to transform our life. If you missed that last week, you can check it out on our our app, or you can go to YouTube. Uh, and so today what we're going to do is talk about this, this song, this carol, Go Tell It on the Mountain. You guys enjoy that one? It's a famous, famous carol. So as I was doing my research, by the way, I've had a lot of fun doing research on these carols. I had no idea that we've been singing them for quite literally hundreds of years, 200 years plus. This particular carol, we don't know actually who wrote it, but we do know that it was written during the times of slavery in the 1800s. Around 1850, 1860, there was a guy named John Wesley Work. Here's a picture of this guy. He was a, he was a son of a, of, a, of a choir director. His father was a choir director in a church. He studied Latin. He went on to become this, this, almost this language expert. But his passion was music. 
And he developed that from watching his father lead the choir. And he recognized that there were all of these African-American spiritual songs written during the time of slavery by slaves that were being sung and no one had taken the time to write the words down. No one had taken the time to put these songs into a book. So John Wesley Work Jr. decided that that he was going to take on that task and collect all of these African-American songs, spiritual songs, uh, and put them in two volumes. One of those songs was Go Tell It on the Mountain. He would later put together this choir, according to history, that would travel to the United States and sing these songs. They were so good that evidently they got invited to England to sing Go Tell It on the Mountain in front of the queen. Amazing, amazing story. Well, his son, John Wesley Work III, would later on in the 19, early 1920s rewrite the song himself uh, during another time of great difficulty and struggle, the Great Depression, republish it, and it became popular again. What's incredible about this song is that it was written during great times of difficulty, anguish, and injustice, and it continued to be sung through the Civil War and continued to be rewritten and resung through the Great Depression. And I got to thinking, why is this song, I mean, why is it so special? Why has it, why has it been with us for over 200 years? And I believe it's because it provides hope for people in difficulty. Maybe you need hope today because you're facing some difficulty in your life, some struggle, some challenge in your life. And I hope that this song will bring some hope to you. It's, it's brought hope to so many millions of people as we've sang it for over 200 years. So I want to work through this song, the verses of the song, and, and, and between each verse, there's obviously the chorus. We, we just got done singing it, but we'll save the chorus to the end. Let's work through these verses, and then we'll try to make some sense of it. This is the, ver the first verse. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens, they're shown a holy light. Essentially what the author has done is taken the story of Christmas from the book of Luke and rewritten it in his own words. Let's look at the second verse. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed the Savior's birth. Again, Luke chapter two. Let's look at the third verse. This is my favorite verse. Down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ was born and God sent us, say with me, salvation, that blessed Christmas morn. Then the chorus, go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. If you want to understand this song, you really just have to understand one word, and that word is salvation. This is what this song is about, salvation. I hope you read the Bible. I read it every single day, read it again this morning. If you're reading the one-year Bible, you're coming down the home stretch. You're in the book of Revelation. And if, if you I hope you do that, I'm gonna start the Bible again on January 1st. So if you wanna read through the Bible in a year, Get on the app, the YouVersion app. We can do it together. Um, and so I'm excited. We're in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And, and if you read the Bible, you discover that this is really a story of salvation. It's a story from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, about how God has saved people, about how God has brought salvation 
to humankind. In the book of Acts chapter four, which is a great, great book, it, sh- it kind of shows the, how the early church began and exploded and started to grow. There's this one story in Acts chapter three where Peter and John were walking through town and there was this crippled guy from birth and he starts crying out for money and they're like, look, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we're gonna give you. And so they pray this prayer over this man and the man is healed. We could say he was delivered from his sickness And he stands up and he walks. And this gets them in all kinds of trouble. So in chapter four, they get pulled before the authorities, right? Like, what are you doing? And what message are you preaching? And how did you heal that guy? And they're in trouble. And Peter and John are like, look, you know, this is the deal. Jesus is powerful. This man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. And then in chapter four, verse 12, this is what Peter says. There is, say it with me, salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be, say it with me, saved. He's talking about this crippled man. This man was born crippled and God saved him. God delivered him from his disease. And he is saving you in the same way. What does salvation mean? Salvation simply means deliverance. If you've ever been confused about that, oh, the Bible says you need to be saved, salvation. What what does that really mean? It means that you need to be delivered and God has made a hole in the fence to do so. You're trapped, you're caught, you're stuck, and there's no way out. But God has made a way. If you go back into the Old Testament, which I hope that you read both the New Testament and the Old Testament, it can be a bit confusing, but that's why you have help and pastors and people and friends and small groups to help out. But I hope you read it. If you go back into the Old Testament, go back into a little bit of history. So those of you who love history, you're going to like this part. Those of you who hate history, you're going to be like, that's okay. I'm going to come back. Back to you. In In the times of ancient Israel, if you go back to the geography, which is similar to today, but some, some of it has changed, the, the cities were, would be settled between mountains. They would be settled between hills. And back in those days, obviously they didn't have cell phones or phones or internet or anything like that. And so it was really hard for information to flow from city to city because all the cities were separated by hills and mountains. You with me? Yeah, I'm gonna tie this together, I promise. And so when something would happen where there'd be a battle or some news, in order for information to go from city to city to city, from people group to people group, there would have to be a messenger who would run over the mountains, down in the valleys, and tell another messenger, and over the mountains. Sometimes there'd be a a watchman at the top of a wall, on the top of a mountain. Sometimes they would use a flag if the good news, if there'd be good news, they'd have a good news flag. If there'd be bad news, we lost the battle, it'd be a bad news flag. And then that person would communicate to another messenger or runner who would run down a hill and up a hill to tell the next city over that there was a victory or there was a loss. Information flowed through people's feet. That's how they got their news. With that being said, let me tell you a little bit of what, what, about what happened 597 BC. 597 years before Jesus Christ was born that first Christmas morning. The Israelites, God's people, had exasperated God. I mean, he had warned them, he had encouraged them, you need to turn from your idolatry, you need to turn from your adultery, your fornication, you need to turn from your injustice, and they just wouldn't do it. They're like, no, we're gonna do it. 
So finally, God says, I've had it with you guys. And I'm going to raise up a king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar, a people group, the Babylonians. And they're going to come in and they're going to conquer Jerusalem. They're going to overthrow your king and they're going to exile you out of Jerusalem. You with me? This is called the exile. And so sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar conquers the king of Jerusalem and the people are taken out of their home for 70 years. And so for 70 years, God's people are crying out to him. Oh, we're sorry. We won't do that again. Please forgive us. Please deliver us from Nebuchadnezzar. And God finally listens. 70 years later, he raises up this other king. His name is Cyrus of the kingdom of Persia. And Cyrus overthrows Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he delivers the Israelites back to Jerusalem. This is a big deal in the history. By the way, this is not just Bible history. This is history history. You can look it up and there was a real king named Nebuchadnezzar and a real king named Cyrus. And it really happened. This was a historical event. The Bible gives us the best detailed information about it. And so Cyrus overthrows Nebuchadnezzar and the good news is this, you guys can now go back to Jerusalem. Now during this time when Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem and Cyrus overthrew Nebuchadnezzar, Isaiah the prophet was writing. This is the time period. Listen to the words that Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. We get some of our song, go tell it on the mountains from this, from this verse. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings what? Good news. The good news of what? Peace and, say it with me, salvation. This is 597 years before Jesus. This is not talking about Jesus. It is, but it's not. It's talking about the fact that Cyrus has defeated Nebuchadnezzar and you guys can be delivered to go back where? Back to Jerusalem. This is great news, the news that God, the God of Israel reigns. He has heard our prayers and you can go home. There's a messenger that have to, would have to go down the mountain and up a mountain and from the top of the mountain communicate to another messenger who would go down and up and city to city. Slowly, people would get the information that Cyrus has defeated Nebuchadnezzar. Are you feeling me? Are you understanding the situation? And this is good news of salvation. Now, this historical event really happened. And it's a big deal for the people of Israel. It's also a massive metaphor for us today. It's a picture of our situation today. Fast forward 600 years later, there's a guy named Paul who's writing a book called the book of Romans. And he's trying to talk to Jewish people and other people, Jews and Gentiles, about how we need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to have salvation. See, here's our situation. Here's my situation and your situation. In a sense, we have exasperated God. We have sinned against God with our rebellion, with our adultery, our fornication, with our idolatry, with our love for money, our greed, our deceit, our whatever. Our sin has exhausted and exasperated God. And so we have literally been exiled out of relationship with God. 
We are not where we should be. We are not in Jerusalem. We are not home. We have been separated from God because of our rebellion. And Paul is thinking in the same way that the Jews need a savior, in the same way that the Jews needed Cyrus, king of Persia, to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, we need a savior who's going to be raised up to deliver us from the power and the bondage of our Nebuchadnezzar, which is sin and death. And so that's our situation. And so Paul is writing in in the book of Romans, and he says this. He says, but how can they be saved unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless they're sent? Unless they're a messenger. You see that? And then Paul says this. That is why the scriptures say, where? Isaiah 52, verse seven. Here it comes. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Paul is quoting a verse from Isaiah that was written 500, 600 years before Jesus was even born. Do you see what he saw? Your situation and my situation is such that we have been exiled out of a relationship with God and we need a hole in the fence. We need a way out. And the good news is that Jesus Christ was born that first Christmas morning and he provided salvation for us. Here's the good news for you and me today. You can come home. Is anybody excited about that? You can go home to a relationship with God because Jesus Christ has been born. You know, I read through the Bible, I just said that, and we're in the book of Revelation right now. And the other day we started chapter one and and, uh, verse five popped out to me and I was like, yes, that's part, that's what I'm trying to say about this song. Listen to these words, Revelation 1 verse 5, all glory to him, that is Jesus, who loves us and has, say it with me, has freed us. What's interesting language? It's as if we were trapped. It's as if you and I had been kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It's as if the Bible says we've been stolen away from our home, being held captive by a kidnap, kidnapper, being held for ransom. And it's, it's as if the Bible is saying, not as if, it's saying to you and I that Jesus has come to set us free from our captive sin and death. He set us free. It's what I felt that day when I turned left on 65 going south. Freedom! Who said that? William Wallace. That's right. That's right. Freedom. From what? From being trapped. That is the good news of the gospel. And how did Jesus provide freedom for you and I? Tells us. He freed us from our sins, our Nebuchadnezzar, By shedding his blood for us. Now, the Bible talks a lot about blood. Blood is interesting. I I think it's it's one of these phenomenons that when you put the word blood out there or you see blood, like people respond in all different types of ways. It's interesting. You can see like when someone someone, uh, with a weak stomach sees blood and they're like, "Ah!" 
you know, sometimes they faint. Sometimes people faint when they see their own blood. At the doctor's office, they're like, they're out, they're done. They can't, they're just... Some, some of you moms and dads, you see your own kids' bloods, you run away from your kids. They're like, mommy, I need you. Yeah, but you're bleeding. <laughs> Get away from me. And then there's other of us who are like, blood, more blood, like gore. Like we pour like fake blood on ourselves for Halloween. We're like, blood, we love it. People are weird, man. They really are. The responses to blood. But blood is a weird thing. But the Bible talks about blood a lot. And here in this verse, it says that Jesus has somehow defeated Nebuchadnezzar, has somehow defeated our sins by shedding his, his blood. The Bible says that he bled when they put the crown of thorns on his head and when they whipped him and when they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. It actually says that he, he, he sweat drops of blood. In what sense did Jesus' blood set us free from our sins. Well, here's how it works. Get a little technical here for you to understand this, but it's worth it. You're being held captive by the power of sin. And the penalty of sin is death, separation from God and separation from your body forever in a place called hell. That's a serious situation. In order to be set free from that, there has to be bloodshed. Why? Because God is 100% love. The Bible says God is love. He is. He is love. On the other hand, or on the other side of the coin, he is 100% justice. And so somehow God has to reconcile himself to you by expressing his love, but also satisfying his justice. Mark my words, God will never look the other way when it comes to your sin. He just will never do that. It's against his character. He will never just be like, oh, you've committed adultery or fornication. No problem. I love everybody. Everybody comes to heaven because I'm a God of love. He will never, ever do that. But because he loves you, he will do something on your behalf to satisfy his justice. He is a perfect judge and must execute judgment on sin. So here's what he does. Instead of punishing you and shedding your blood because you are a sinner, he chooses to execute judgment on his son and crushes and kills his own son. See, that, that day when Christ was crucified, it wasn't the Romans killing him. It wasn't the Romans driving nails through his hands and whipping him and crushing him and stabbing him in the side. It wasn't the Jews the Jews and the, and the Romans didn't do that. You know who was crushing Jesus that day? It was the Father. God the Father crushed his own son so that you could go free. Wow. And that's how he provided a hole in the fence. Is this making sense? And that is good news. In fact, it's the best news that's ever been told on this planet to anyone anywhere. And I can't believe I get to talk about it. My feet, the Bible says, are beautiful. They're not. <laughs> I, trust me, I used to be a runner. My feet are ugly. They're discolored. There's some things growing down there that shouldn't be growing. 
when the Bible says beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, it's not talking about the physical attractiveness of a foot. Feet are gross. It's talking about the beauty of the message. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to pay for your sins. Your sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now this song we just got done singing is about this good news. Christ has brought us salvation that first Christmas morning. He's delivered us. And then the chorus, three times, four times we sing it, go tell it on the mountain. Why? Because you are the messenger. That's why. It's not just, it's not enough for you to be like, oh, I'm free and that's awesome. What was my first response when I went south on 65 that day when I crossed through the hole in the fence and I turned left? What was the first thing I did? After, well, after I screamed for joy and said hallelujah and, you know, was just you know, having this spiritual experience, the first thing I did was I rolled the window down and I started screaming at all these people, there's a hole in the fence. Why? Because I wanted them to experience the same freedom that I experienced. I was the messenger. And you might be thinking, yeah, Pastor Danny, that's right. You're the messenger because you're the pastor. Like, of course you are. Like you're good with people and you can explain the Bible and you can talk in your social and not me, I'm backwards. Like I don't talk to people about God or church or religion or anything like that. That's hogwash. I didn't open the window that day going south on 65 because I had some sort of skill to yell at people on the highway. <laughs> I opened the window that day and started screaming at these people because they needed to find the hole in the fence. And if they didn't, they'd be stuck. Maybe all night. See, the reason why I tell people about Jesus at Starbucks or in the sauna <laughs> or the grocery store or wherever I am, it's not because I have a gift. I'm not, I'm not gifted. You say, oh, yeah, but you're so gifted. No, no, I'm not gifted. It's not because I have a, a great personality or I can use words well. No, it's not. I tell people about Jesus because they need to hear about Jesus. Because if they don't find the hole in the fence, they're in big trouble. I tell people about Jesus because I want them to experience the freedom from sin and the power of sin and the penalty of sin as I have experienced it. See, the truth is, it, the truth is this. You are the messenger. The song says, go tell it on the mountain. It doesn't say, pastors, go tell it on the mountain. It says, go tell it on the mountain. And here's what Jesus said, if you think I'm making this up. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Then he told them, who are them? His followers, if you're a follower, this is for you. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. It's real simple. It's your job. Go tell it on the mountain. That Jesus Christ is born, that you have been set free, that they too can find a hole in the fence and be freed from their sins. See, here's the truth. You have never laid eyes upon someone for whom Christ has not died. Mark my words. In a grocery store, coffee shop, wherever you, you have never laid eyes upon a human being for whom Christ has not died. How do I know that? The Bible tells us. First John chapter two. Jesus himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, but not just for my sin, not just for your sin, but watch this, but for the sins of the, say it with me, the whole world. Everyone needs to find the hole in the fence. And Jesus has made a way for every single human being to find it and to step through it and to experience freedom. We just have to tell them. And it's not my job only, it's your job as well. Why is Christianity unique? Why does Christianity stand in a category by itself 
apart from Buddhism, apart from Hinduism, apart from the Muslim faith, apart from the Jewish faith or any other faith system. Why is Christianity the only way to heaven? Why is Christianity the only faith system that provides a hole in the fence? Here's why. Because only Jesus Christ dealt with sin. Only Jesus Christ shed his blood. This is what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. For without the shedding of, there it is again, say it with me, blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So when if I'm talking to a Hindu person or a Muslim person or a person of a Jewish faith, I, I can literally help them understand or try to help them understand that your faith system does not adequately deal with the sinfulness of mankind. Because the sinfulness of mankind, individual people, requires payment. It requires justice. So show me how the Jewish system deals with that. Show me how the Muslim faith deals with sin. Show me how the Hindu faith deals with sin. Show me how that does that. And what you find is that it does not. The reason why Christianity stands in a category of its own is because only Christ shed his blood for sin. Only Jesus paid the price. And that is the good news of the gospel. And that's why we're on a relentless pursuit. I mean, if you really want to know, why does the church call the, why do we, why do you ask us to write names on the, that's weird. Why do we do that? Why do we focus on the people who are not here yet? Why can't we just have church for us and sing songs and talk about the Bible? Why is there such a focus on people who are not here? Here's why. Because that's why Jesus came. That Christmas morning, he brought salvation to the entire world, not just us who already believe. And so next week is like Super Bowl weekend for church. I don't know if you guys know that or not. <laughs> it's Christmas. It's the big Christmas weekend. We've got services on Friday. We've got services on Saturday. No services on Sunday. If you show up next week on Sunday, <laughs> no one will be here. <laughs> but we do have services on Friday and Saturday. Why are we on such a relentless pursuit? For people far from God, because Jesus is the only way to heaven. Here's how he said in John 14, 6. You can look it up later. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because only I dealt with sin. I laid down my life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of humanity. I'm the one who made a hole in the fence. Is this making sense? So next week's the Super Bowl. We've got a lot of open seats here. You've got friends and family members, coworkers, brothers, sisters, cousins who need to find a hole in the fence. They need Jesus. My question to you is simple. Who will you bring next week? Who will you bring next week? Notice I didn't say who will you invite. There's a big difference between making an invitation and bringing someone to church. Okay, here's the difference, ready? When you invite somebody, you say, hey, would you like to come to church with me on Friday? We're talking about, oh, holy night. It's gonna be really good. We sing some songs. Would you come? That's an invitation. A bring invitation sounds like this. Hey, I'm going to church on Friday. Get in the car. <laughs> it's not, I'm not asking. I'm just moving you into the vehicle. 
okay? We're just, we're going, okay? Now, don't do that, but a version of that, a kind version of that would be, and you hear, and what we've done is we've, we've made these bring vitations, okay? You can use this as you move them into the vehicle. Um, we've printed these off for you. These are very expensive. These are, these are very beautiful, and they have, uh, you know, our, our the Carol's logo. We paid a lot of money for them, so this week, grab them. Grab 10 of them. And the folks that are in your life that have not yet found freedom from their sin, have not yet put their faith in Christ, use these cards, invite them, bring them. These, we actually call these bring-vitations, okay? Notice that? Very, very, very intentional there. And bring them to church next week. Why? Because we want to help them find a hole in the fence. You found freedom. You've been delivered. You have found salvation. And the song says, go tell it on the mountain. Why? Because Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the entire world. It's happening, folks, with or without you. I'm just inviting you to join in. Did you know our Martinsville campus is just exploding right now? I shouldn't even really call it a campus because they watch it on a 60-inch television. (laughs) But it's exploding right now in the YMCA. People are relentlessly pursuing their friends in Martinsville. We don't even have a campus pastor there. It's bonkers. We don't even have any money to build a campus. We're trying to build Seymour right? It's happening. But you know what? Someone just wrote a $25,000 check for Martinsville. Is that crazy? Here's the deal. I'm scratching my head like, why would somebody write a $25,000 check to a, to, to a campus that doesn't have a campus pastor? We don't even have a permanent location. They're watching it on a 60-inch television. What is happening? You want to know why? Because they believe that people need to find the hole in the fence and they're willing to fund it. That's what our church is all about. Will you join in? Will you bring someone next week to hear this message about God's love and how they can be forgiven? I hope that you will. Now, as we wrap up, there are some of you here today, you, you're stuck. You haven't found the hole in the fence. You're, you're still in your sins. You have not been set free. And as I was talking over the last 30 minutes or so, you realize that. You need to find the hole in the fence. You need to step through and ask Christ to be your savior. Here's what the Bible says. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Jesus broke the power of sin and death. I love that. He just smashed it. And he illuminated, the, watch this, the way to life. He put a spotlight on the hole in the fence, if you want to use that language. He illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. He did that for you. He loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. He made a way. He paid the penalty for your sins. See, when I was 17 years old, I heard it explained like this. For some reason, it clicked. Someone said to me, look, Danny, here's the deal. It's either you can pay for your sins or Jesus can pay for your sins. Which one would you like to pick? You know, and at that time in my life, I guess I was smart enough to say like, I don't want to pay for my own sin. I don't want to die and live forever apart from Jesus. If he died on the cross and paid for my sin, I'd like to step into that. I'd like to ask him to forgive me. And maybe that just clicked with you like it did with me. I'm not talking about joining a church or joining a religion. I'm talking about receiving eternal life, being forgiven of your sins and becoming a child of God. If you'd like to do that right now, whatever campus you're watching online, if you're watching one of our microsites, if you're here physically, take these words, make them your own. Ask Christ to be your savior. Will you pray with me? Just say this to him, dear Jesus. I believe you shed your blood 
You paid the price for my sin. That you made a way to find life. You, you made a hole in the fence for me. And so I stepped through it. I placed my faith in you. I placed my trust. Please wash me of my sin. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Be my savior today. Deliver me from the power and penalty of my sin. I receive your grace. And from this day forward, help me to go tell that message to everyone who needs to hear it. That they too can be forgiven, set free from the power and penalty of sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, whatever location you're at, if you would text the word SAVE to 65248, we would love to put one of these boxes in your hands. It is our SAVE box. We could have put on there our deliverance box. It's the idea that you've been set free from your sin. Uh, and so there's a Bible in here. I want to encourage you to grab that, begin reading it. There's a Bible reading plan and some other information about the church, as well as a gift from us to you to say congratulations. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. Hey, next week, next week, again, Super Bowl. Before you leave, Cody's got an important announcement. Other people have announcements here. Um, next week is Super Bowl Sunday. Bring your friends. They're going to hear a great message. We're going to talk through Oh Holy Night. Let's pray and we'll dismiss to our local teams. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this song that's been with us for over 200 years. Thank you for the men who preserved it, rewritten it in the form that we have it today that it's continuing to bless us. Help us to be people who go tell the good news to others. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you and hand things off to the local teams.